Bernie Madoff. He was a billionaire trader and investor, and he managed funds in excess of $17 billion. This was at the beginning of 2008, but by March of 2009, he was given a maximum sentence of 150 years in prison. Was it all a lie? The markets, they never stop, but neither do we. You're listening to Fluid Finance. Welcome back, finance enthusiasts, to another episode of the Fluid Finance Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ariman. And I'm your host, Tejas. Today, we'll be talking about Bernard Lawrence Madoff, more infamously known as Bernie Madoff. He was an American hedge fund manager and former chairman of the Nasdaq Stock Exchange. He was best known for operating history's largest Ponzi scheme. So, for our listeners, what is a Ponzi scheme? A financial swindle in which early investors are repaid with money acquired from later investors rather than from actual investment income is what we define as a Ponzi scheme. So, let's talk about Madoff. He grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood in Laurelton, Queens, New York. After spending his freshman year at the University of Alabama, he earned a degree in political science from the Hofstra University. He studied law briefly in the Brooklyn Law School before founding Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities with his wife Ruth, who worked on Wall Street after earning a degree in psychology from Queen's College. Madoff's specialty was so-called penny stocks, which are very low-priced shares that trade on the OTC market, which was the predecessor to the Nasdaq exchange. But wait, didn't Madoff also serve as a Nasdaq director, if I'm not wrong? Yes. He did, for three one-year terms, in fact. He was a very accomplished person. He was actually one of the core founding members of the Nasdaq exchange. Damn, I didn't know that. So Madoff also cultivated close friendships with wealthy and influential businessmen in New York City. He signed them as investors and paid them handsome returns. And he also used their positive recommendations to attract more investors. He also improved his reputation by developing relationships with financial regulators. He exploited an air of exclusivity to attract serious investors. Not everyone was accepted into his funds. So clearly, there was some inherent prestige associated with being involved in his fund. Absolutely. Being a Madoff investor was a league of its own. Madoff was an expert in trading penny stocks, as mentioned earlier. He started his firm as a penny stock trader and used his own savings along with borrowed money from his in-laws to start out. But wait, aren't penny stocks highly risky and really not great companies, fundamentally speaking? You're right, Araman. Penny stocks are stocks that trade at very low prices and are not fundamentally the best. They have low market capitalization and are mostly illiquid. And penny stocks are also less known to the larger investing public. However, with that said, they can earn you a lot of money if you invest in them correctly. So essentially, high risk, high reward. Exactly. In 1992, Bernard Madoff explained his strategy to the Wall Street Journal. He said his returns were really nothing special, given that the Standard & Poor's 500 stock index actually generated an average annual return of 16% between 1982 and 1992. He said, and I quote, 
I would be surprised if anybody thought that matching the S&P over 10 years was anything outstanding. Unquote. You know, but the surprising thing is that most money managers actually trailed the S&P during the 1980s. Suspicious yet? Yeah, very suspicious. So the journal concluded that it was Madoff's use of futures and options which helped him cushion the returns against the market's ups and downs. Madoff's sales pitch was basically an investment strategy which consisted of purchasing blue chip stocks and taking options contracts on them. This would allow him to increase the rate of return while limiting the portfolio's downside. Essentially his edge was clearly just using derivatives to hedge his portfolio against market volatility, right? Cuz a lot of a lot of hedge fund managers do that and they essentially use options and futures to sort of curtail, you know, the risks of volatility and not much dissimilar to what we do, I guess. Absolutely correct, Arman. These days I don't think we use derivatives to just hedge our portfolio, right? They just I think people like you and I we trade actively um in futures and options to generate a return. Definitely, Arman. The FNO market is one which is absolutely fascinating and very fast-paced too. So in his 1992 interview with the Wall Street Journal, Madoff also discussed his methods in detail too. So a few analysts which were performing due diligence tried to replicate Madoff's fund's past returns using everything, you know, from his tricks to historical price data from US stocks. However, none of them were able to replicate this. Barrons, another news publication, raised the possibility that Madoff's returns were most likely due to front-running his firm's brokerage clients. Wait, this is getting a little complex. What is front-running? Let's simplify. Assume I'm a hedge fund manager and I manage my client's money. Say my client's Arman, who has a billion dollars to invest. One day. <laughs> so, if I'm managing his money and I decide to place my order before I place his, I can take advantage of the increasing stock prices that will result from the excessive demand which is caused by Arman's money. This process is called front running. So let me get this straight. So if if you're a hedge fund manager and if you're participating in front running you'd essentially let's say buy one stock of ITC or whatever you'd want to buy for your personal portfolio and then with the fund's money which is obviously a lot more compared to your personal money you'd actually buy that stock so you'd buy millions of shares of ITC with the fund money and as a result the price of ITC will be you know will will increase as a result of the um like you said the excess demand created and your personal portfolio profits as a result did i get that correct exactly but they just by everything you've told me madoff's reputation seemed very good within the investing community what went wrong okay so throughout the 70s and the 80s madoff had built a reputation as a wealth manager for highly exclusive clientele as you said his reputation was great investors who gained access truly believed that they had entered the inner circle of money making geniuses a few investors were even wary of removing their money from madoff's fund in case that they could not get back in through the years madoff sold his business as an exclusive opportunity imagine being on the other end of this sale i won't even try to negotiate 
I'm just buying into this great money making business which everybody loves. Essentially you're buying a printing um so it's like buying a money printing machine. Exactly. So you you're buying the US Fed. <laughs> in fact, people who met Bernard in person were also impressed with his apparent humility despite his reported financial success and personal wealth. This made them even more keen to put money into his fund. So let's put aside Madoff for a second, shall we? And talk about another key player which was involved in this extraordinary scam and also its ultimate revelation. His name was Harry Markopoulos. Harry Markopoulos is an American former securities executive and a forensic accounting and financial fraud investigator. Yes, a huge title. Yeah, that is a pretty big title. I wonder what his LinkedIn looks like. <laughs> so from 1999 to 2008, Markopoulos uncovered various pieces of evidence that suggested that Bernie Madoff's wealth management business was a huge Ponzi scheme. In fact, in 2000, 2001 and 2005, Markopoulos alerted the SEC of his views. He supplied supporting documents and a lot more, but each time the SEC ignored him and only gave his evidence a brief investigation. Other outside analysts at this time were also raising suspicions against Madoff, but nothing came of them. I guess he was too big to be doubted at the time. Very true. But the scheme did finally unravel in the fall of 2008 when the general market downturn accelerated. As it turned out, withdrawal requests from scared investors ramped up in the wake of the collapse of Bear Stearns, a huge bank, in March of 2008. The trickle then became a flood when Lehman Brothers were forced into bankruptcy. in September which also coincided with the near collapse of the American International Group what a time to be alive i would rather die <laughs> so as the market's decline accelerated investors actually tried to withdraw 7 billion dollars with a b from the firm 7 billion at one time I mean that would be an absolutely formidable amount to withdraw all at once that's crazy. Yep, and it gets much much worse. Unknown to them, Madoff had simply deposited his client's money into his business account at Chase Manhattan Bank and he paid customers out of their account when they requested withdrawals. Wait, what? So the investors money that he received for his fund He actually just kept for himself and he just paid the investors off when they asked about their returns. What does that sound similar to? Ah, Ponzi scheme. I see. Exactly, Arman. So in November of 2008, the balance in the account dropped to dangerously low levels. Only 300 million dollars in new money had come in, but customers had withdrawn 320 million dollars. Madoff had barely enough in the account to meet his withdrawals on November 19th. Even with a rush of new investors who believed Madoff was one of the few funds that was still doing well, it still wasn't enough to keep up with the avalanche of withdrawals. By the week after Thanksgiving 2008, Madoff knew he was at the end of his tether. The Chase account, which at one point in 2008 had well over 5 billion dollars, was down to only 234 million. 
Jesus, that's astonishing. That's down more than 96%. It doesn't end there. With banks having all but stopped lending to anyone, he knew he could not even begin to borrow enough money to meet the outstanding requests. On December 4th, he told his dear friend Frank De Pascali, who oversaw the Ponzi scheme's operation, that he was finished. He directed De Pascali to use the remaining balance in the Chase account to cash out the accounts of relatives and favored investors. It would pay you really well to be in Madoff's good books at this point in time. On December 9th, he told his brother Peter that he was on the brink of collapse. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> the following morning, December 10th, he suggested to his sons, Mark and Andrew, that the firm pay out over $170 million in bonuses two months ahead of schedule. According to the complaint, Mark and Andrew, reportedly unaware of the firm's pending insolvency, confronted their father asking him how the firm could pay bonuses to employees if it could not pay investors. At that point, Madoff asked his sons to follow him to his apartment, where he admitted that he was finished and that the asset management arm of the firm was in fact a Ponzi scheme. As he put it, one big lie. Mark and Andrew, his own sons, then reported him to the authorities. Damn, that really takes some guts, but I'm glad they did it. Madoff intended to take a week to wind up the firm's operations before his sons alerted authorities. Instead, Mark and Andrew had called lawyers immediately. When the sons revealed their father's plan to use the remaining money to pay relatives and investors, the favoured ones of course, their lawyers put them in touch with federal prosecutors and the SEC. Madoff was arrested the following morning. What an absolute fall from grace. I can't even imagine the amount of money that was defaulted. Not just the money, right? It's Madoff's respect in the investing community. Till just a few weeks ago, he was considered to be this great big investor whose fund people were dying to get into. And now, he was just one big scamster. The crazy part in all of this is that the money invested in that fund, not everybody was, you know, incredibly wealthy, perhaps. Some people put on put in their, you know, life savings. Some people put, put in their um, kids' college fund money in there, you know, because they were lured in by the supposed high returns of, of Madoff's fund. Absolutely. This not only impacted the rich, but also the people who really had something to lose. On March 12th, 2009, Madoff pleaded guilty to 11 federal felonies and admitted to turning his wealth management business into a massive Ponzi scheme. The Madoff investment scandal defrauded thousands of investors of billions of dollars. He said that he began the Ponzi scheme in the early 1990s and those charged with recovering the missing money believed that the investment operation may never have been legitimate. The amount missing from client accounts was almost, wait for it, 65 billion dollars with a b yes with a b jesus man i can't even begin to fathom the amount of zeros in that number on june 29th 2009 madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison the maximum sentence allowed on april 14th 2021 he died at the federal medical center in north carolina from chronic kidney failure well, that was a very anticlimactic end for Madoff, but 
quite the climax for us in terms of this tale. But Araman, he wasn't the only guy to run a Ponzi scheme. In fact, a Ponzi scheme is named after Charles Ponzi, the guy who originally ran it. But that's an a tale for another episode. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again in the next episode.